You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, the USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Uh, welcome to Absolute Empowerment. Tonight we have former star inside linebacker for the East Carolina Pirates, who I had the uh, privilege of coaching through his career, Mark Liviano. Mark, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Before we get cranking here, I'm going to go ahead and recognize our sponsor. Ed Watkins Marine has two locations to serve you, as they are located in Denver and Cornelius, North Carolina, in the greater Charlotte area of our state. He has fishing boats, pleasure boats, pontoon boats, center consoles, family-friendly bow riders, trailers, engines, and UTVs. He has all the brands you are seeking, Sea Pro, Suncatcher, Pontoons, Tritoons, Stingray, Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, Vexus, Bass Boats, Explore Skiffs, and more. Whether you're looking for a new boat or to repower your existing boat, Ed Watkins can help you with your boating needs. Visit them online at edwatkinsmarine.com. We appreciate Big Ed's support of the show, and he is definitely the most enthusiastic enthusiastic and positive athlete I ever coached. Thank you, Big Ed. All right. Big Ed. Big, Big Ed. Ed. What a great guy he is, man. Yes, sir. All right, Mark. So uh, first thing I want to talk about is uh, getting back into your the story of Mark Liviano growing up in eastern Pennsylvania. And uh, I get confused sometimes because Easton is so close to New Jersey. A lot of times I think Easton people are from New Jersey. But uh, I have a few connections there, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, when I went uh, from my high school job in Florida to Bucknell University, uh, one of the main reasons I went up there was a a man named Bob Ferraro. And uh, I was coaching wrestling then as well. And I kind of took over that whole strength program there and, and developed it along with helping with the wrestling program. And, uh, of course, I was very much involved with football. But Bob, of course, grew up in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, I, I recruited his son, Bobby, who also became an All-American at Bucknell. And, of course, Bob, Bob was a, a national runner-up. And uh, then we had got a, another gentleman by the name of Chuck Amato. Uh, you know, when I coached at Carolina for a number of years, he was John Bunning's uh, biggest rival. They had kind of a personal vendetta against each other a little bit here and there. But uh, And then another uh, another guy, I'm not sure he's from Easton. You tell me, Bob Guzzo, was he from Easton? Guzzo is, is, yep. is the wrestling coach? Guzzo was the wrestling coach at NC State. He won, uh, I think, something like 13 conference championships. Guzzo married my PE teacher, Mrs. Miller, when I was in elementary school <laughs> <laughs> and, and took her down to North, uh, North, um, North Carolina state. Uh, yeah. so yeah. So all those check out you, you are 100% correct. Right. Um, the Ferraro, I think something happened to Bobby a couple years ago. I don't, I think he passed. I'm not sure. I got to check with my mom, but he was one of like four or five brothers um, in the Ferraro family. And they were all tough as nails and ballsy and just great people. They would give you anything you needed if, if you needed anything. Um, so great. Yeah, guys. That, wasn't, that wasn't Bob. That was his brother. But yeah, that I'm was the brother. I'm, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. 
there's a there's a there's a few of them right and and oh yeah my mom gets confused and then same thing with chuck uh amato he he's from a family of a few different brothers and um that's a big family in the area as well he recruited me at florida state he was down in florida state when i was coming out of easton um that was a whole fun thing with him um right. so yeah no that's it's and then the wrestling is uh, bobby guzzo i just i talked to maybe like two three years ago one of his all-american players wrestlers that was from liberty and uh we had a great we had great chats man we had some beers and we talked about a lot of different things in the lehigh valley and wrestling and stuff like that so yeah good stuff man um that, that's great and i have been to easton and of course i was the uh, recruiting coordinator for wrestling when i was there for bob but uh so i recruited new jersey as well uh very heavily but uh easton had some some great wrestlers and probably still do but growing up in that town uh you know i'm, I'm pretty much convinced from the people i've met there that uh you're not going to go too far if you're soft in Easton. Uh, you got to be pretty tough coming up around Easton, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you don't get too far, man. So you you got to fight for everything. And a lot of those guys that you mentioned fought. And a lot of the guys that um, kind of made it out fought, fought hard. Um, it's just a small town. It used to be Steel Town. Um, Bethlehem was the next um town over Bethlehem steel and then they had yeah. Ingersoll ran and everything else. Um, and then you went North. Um, you'll love this coach. When you go North, it's where all the coal is. And we used to call those guys coal crackers cause they were even tougher than we were. Um, so it, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's changed though. A lot of, uh, New York people and a lot of, uh, Jersey people are coming over. We're, my dad and I lived and my, the rest of the family, we were two blocks, three blocks from the Delaware river. So right. um, we used to go to Jersey to get gas and liquor and alcohol and groceries and all kinds of other stuff because it was cheaper, but we're, we're right there. So. Yeah. Nothing. Well, you know, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, so I yeah. was in that bituminous coal region. You're in that anthracite coal region. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, my, my whole family were coal miners, the whole nine yards. And so uh, a very similar culture. Yep. And, you know, what I always say is, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, but uh, I felt very comfortable uh, at ECU and, and in Greenville during the early 90s, particularly because I just related to kind of like the same things, you know, the chip on the shoulder, the tough culture, the uh, uh, the fan base, and you know, and how everybody was uh, so supportive of the program, and how winning was so important to the fan base, and uh, you know, so uh, I really felt I really connected with East Carolina because it reminded me of home. You know, just some down home folks, and uh, of course, you know, when we talk about tobacco farmers. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I raised three acres of tobacco. Uh, so I knew a little bit about what kind of work went into that as well. So that whole blue collar mentality from uh, from Pennsylvania to eastern North Carolina uh, connection. So uh, uh, that was something that made me feel at home. Definitely one of the reasons why we went down there. Um, you know, we went to all the schools in the Northeast and I always wanted to go play on grass and kind of get a little bit warmer. Um, but one yeah. of the things we felt, um, sure. it came down to Virginia Tech, East Carolina, and South Carolina for me. Um, just my personal opinions. My dad and mom never asked me to go anywhere or told me anything. Um, but it came down to those three schools for me. And when I went on my visit and I came back home and I said, you know what? I think I found my place. Um, my parents always kind of scratched their head until they went down. I don't know, maybe three, four weeks, maybe two months later, they went down to the pig picking and then just enjoyed themselves and understood what East Carolina was all about. So um, there's definitely some sort of, um, 
signal there that that draws us there. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's still there. Uh, I haven't been back since the last time I saw you, which is maybe about five, six years ago. Uh, my littlest one, he, he's two or three. Um, yeah, so we'll see, man. These these guys got to get the chip back on the shoulder. We talked about this earlier. Um, and it's yeah. just knuckle up and figure it out, man. Right? Exactly. Uh, one yeah, of the basically recapture the, 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 I say recapture the culture, recapture the tradition because the culture was there. Everybody wants to talk about, we need to, to change the culture. No. And with me, with East Carolina, I think it's about recapturing the culture because many times through the history of the East Carolina program, there was success, you know, going back to, uh, Clarence Stasevich, you know, you can talk about Pat Dye, you can talk about Ed Emery. There's a whole uh, list of coaches who had uh, mad respect in the East Carolina program, some a little more successful than others, but uh, that culture has been there for, for a long time. And that's another reason why I, I'm disappointed, you know, in relationship to my vision for East Carolina going back to the 90s. I thought we would have definitely been into a bigger conference by now. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's a whole nother topic of discussion we might get into a little bit. But just uh, talk a little bit about your, uh, you know, you grew up in Easton. You played high school ball there. You were a tight end. And tight end. Uh, you, played, you, broke uh, a lot of, you broke a lot of receiving records around the area and around Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, and I don't know if a lot – I understand this, and I, I know uh, when you get picked for the Big 33, that's a huge deal in Pennsylvania, you know, and also being All-State. Uh, I got nominated for Big 33, but I didn't get picked to play in the game. But I know all about what that means, and, I mean, that's uh, that's a huge deal. Yeah, so we, we played um... – I played both ways. I played defensive end and I played tight end. And then um, what, what our coaches would do is just kind of, I was 6'4", I don't know, 195 pounds. They would split me out and just put me up against uh, double teams, right? And they, yeah. they would just throw the ball up and I'd have to go up and grab it. Um, and we played uh, like a split end almost. So that's why we racked up a lot of yards. But then we also did where – uh, you know, we do like a throw, a tight end throwback where I would just kind of run down 10, 12 yards and kind of get open, figure out where the safety was and figure out where the linebackers were. And the, the quarterback would just pop it, you know, something that was yeah. a simple play, right? Um, we can get into all that stuff later on if you ever want to on why the Pirates went, you know, two and 10, but Things like that, right, is just easier. But so we kind of went through all that. We um, we 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 were uh, just as I was just as good at on offense as defense. But the mentality was I was always a defensive minded player. And that's kind of why I went down to East Carolina. And that's why I felt the fit worked. Um, Virginia Tech wanted me to play offense. Um, South Carolina wanted me to play defense too, but um, I just think that, you know, it was, you just kind of know in your heart. Um, just when I was down there, I didn't have a party uh, centric um, visit. I actually kind of went on my own and um, Luke Fisher was my uh, host. And then there was a few other guys around. So we just felt comfortable and understood what ECU was really about. So that's, sure. uh, that's, it's kind of funny coach. Uh, you talk about the winning ways, right? Um, I just remember kind of trying to figure out uh, after the peach bowl, that crew kind of, um, kind of left and, and it was, it was kind of our crew who was going to come and I remember going into your office and we were talking and I was just a true freshman. I played that year and I asked you how to get better. And you started laughing and, and I was like, all right, what's this cat laughing about? And you were just like, 
go to work, man. Just go to work. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, I do what you say. I come in on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then we do this. And then on Thursdays and Fridays, we do this. And you looked at me and you just started laughing. You're like, what about Wednesdays and Saturdays? And I'm like, <laughs> what about them? And you're like, you don't have to come, but the door is open and you can train. So um, I just kind of remembered that. It wasn't told that I had to do it, but it was kind of like a, a show you this is the door. and. I laugh about it now because there's a few kids that always kind of you would see on Wednesdays and Saturdays putting in the extra work. And a lot of those kids kind of got to the next level, too. Um, and I just, you know, appreciate that. But that's what it really takes. I mean, this is a twofold conversation. We're talking yeah. about why and how. And that's kind of both where it gets you to, you know. So, yeah, no uh, doubt about it. I mean, uh, I'm not sure what years when we redshirted some guys. I asked Steve one year, I said, we're going to redshirt these guys. We're not planning on playing them. I said, how about if we train them six days a week? <laughs> and so uh, I had a split program where we trained. <laughs> we trained uh, six days a week. Only day we didn't train was game day. Yeah. And, uh, I would have probably trained them that day too if I could have found some time. But you know, I was always into the speed part of it, and uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I had a lot of uh, of that type of training involved as well. You know, the, the speed development as well as yeah, the strength. You know, so uh, uh, you know, he let me take those guys. Actually, uh, I'd have them for maybe an hour and a half even before practice a lot of days, while the other guys were in the meetings. And, uh, you know, we got a lot done. And, and you know, in about, I, you know, it was like a 16-week cycle with those guys. So I remember uh, they, got, that, they, got, they got really strong, you know. So I, I, I really appreciated Steve letting me do that. And it would be really difficult to do in this day of age. I don't think you could swing it, you know, because there's just so many, so many things you got to deal with. <laughs> so Yeah, definitely. But you had a really, uh, you know, great career at ECU and uh, at Inside Backer. Um, what do you think are the most important set of skills that an inside linebacker needs to have? Going back to your experience. So, um, it I it took me a year to to kind of adjust accordingly to it because I don't know if you remember Pagano was the outside linebackers coach and I was over there and he wanted me to play outside right away with him and then a couple of weeks in the training camp coach Logan something happened and that's where they moved me into uh, middle linebacker where you kind of to me. I was always used to um, reacting as the play would hold developing would develop where once you got to the inside, it was just, it was, you had to be gone, right? You had to figure yeah. everything out. You had to read rack. You had to do what you needed to do. So it took me about uh, maybe a year or two to kind of figure that out. And um, it's just, I, I just, I kind of figure this, it's kind of weird. Um, everyone talks about the quarterback knowing everything, but you start playing defense and every one of the guys on defense needs to know what's going on too. So to me, the middle linebacker, my role when I played was just making sure everyone was at peace to be where they're supposed to be. And then we played. Um, that the My junior and senior year, that was when I think we coach jet was the defensive coordinator. I think it's when we, we started kind of melding and making sure everyone was in position correctly. We didn't have too many guys that didn't know how to play. Cause if they didn't, they, we just sub someone else in and it, it was fun, man. Um, so at that point, um, knowing what to do, where everyone should have been was probably my biggest uh, situation. I think um, 
I would have been able, I, I would have liked to let loose a little bit more um, where you didn't have to worry about your reads and forcing things to the outside and things like that. But, you know, it was something that was fun, man. At, at, once you got it dialed in, it was neat. Um, so the biggest, biggest thing is, is this man not letting your teammates down. So um, making sure everyone, uh, I think a lot of my teammates kind of relied on that and making sure that I was checking them to make sure that they were in position so they can play. So, I, I mean, that's what I can think of right now, but um I think when we played Stanford that last year, man, I remember having some conversation with Coach Logan. He's like, ah, you need to be more of a leader about certain things. And I'm like, who am I going to lead? I mean, these guys are all well rehearsed, man. Like you got Mo Morris Foreman, you got the twins back there. You got Emac back there in the front. We're, we're all stacked in the front. We got guys, and it was it was kind of neat that year to kind of look around and be like, we could just roll and play, and it was fun. Um, and that was the cool thing that when we left, when I left, it kind of kept going, man. These these guys, the younger kids, got better and yeah. had you know, like it it, it was neat. So, um. I think your point, I don't know if you said it beforehand, before recording or not, but, you know, that was when we were tough, man. So um, just they need to get back to being tough and just figure it out. You know, two wins is not going to work at any level for anyone. So <laughs> figure it out, man. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the defense has been pretty physical. I like the defensive coordinator and, you know, how aggressive the schemes are. And uh, and I think our guys are physical. They'll hit you in the mouth. Oh, they'll play. You can see it. And, uh, and that, and but yeah, I mean, I, I've been pretty impressed with that. Uh, I have one critique on him. I think he dialed it back a little too much at the end of the year. He stopped blitzing so much. and I, And I thought – excuse me i thought um for two years man when he was throwing those blitzes in there um they they were they were balling man so uh, he keeps it up he'll be they'll be fine you know so let's just get the offense rolling and figure it out what do you think a recent or current team could learn from the teams you played with um i think not a lot of discipline right uh, discipline and when, when we talk about discipline I'm almost 50 now and when you're young you, you you think of it as something silly but making sure you're run you're 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 committing to the play the way it's called right and if if and that was what I was alluding to a little bit earlier um, when we played defense we forced everything outside because you know, the corners and the strong safety were there to make the tackle, you know, so that's the discipline I'm talking about. The talk where you're a receiver, you run the route the correct way. So the quarterback has the three different options to make the pass. Right. So I think they should. And I think, um, but that, that develops over years. I'm not sure if this NIL thing is going to kind of screw up everything where, I don't know if the coaches are going to have that much time, right? To 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 get a player to sit down and understand, like when I need you to run twelve yards in an out or twelve yards in a curl, there's a huge difference. Not you know, trot out there and say, "Hey, I'm open," right? So I think the discipline thing is a big thing, and you could see it lacking on the offense last year. And I'm not sure if that was the scheme or the kids. Um, but all these kids are in Division One, so um, you know, coach them up and get it right, man. So, discipline would be my first thing. I think we had a lot of discipline when we played. Um, I always knew if um, the linebackers, my support was to the left, I knew it was going to be there, and that's what we mean by discipline. I knew um, defensive tackles if they were going to pinch down correctly, they would. So. 
we'll see what happens, man. But it it's not that hard. They got to get some effort too. Uh, I think um, my dad always used to make fun of a lot of people. Um, and when he talked about East Carolina, because he would say, you don't have a clue until the third quarter. And that always made us proud, man. Cause you know, running those three hundreds and being conditioned and doing that. I think um, that has a big to do with how we were successful back then. Cause all our teammates bought into it. And if they didn't, they weren't there. And I can only think of two or three guys that were gone. So um, conditioning. Yeah, I mean, Go ahead. You know, I started a website called armoredlife.org, and it's a, you know, it's a Christian website. But uh, probably the thing that I think about the most as a coach uh, after I retired particularly was uh, all the guys that, went by the wayside for either repeatedly smoking marijuana. Two guys I coached got murdered. Uh, Carl Smalls of Carolina. Uh, Dominique Lennon, not too long after he left, uh, was shot in Raleigh. I've counseled a few people on suicide. Um, you know, I mean – that's the thing that I think about the most is, you know, what kind of programs, what kind of investment do you need to make to make sure everybody's square between the ears because it makes such a big difference. And particularly with this NIL and the portal and everything, you know, you, you wonder about the loyalty. Uh, is there a loyalty issue at some point when you start losing games? Do you, is there murmuring starting in the locker room? Are there guys that start to bail out on you? Um, you know, that type of factor, because you're bringing in these kids from all over the place, you know, and they don't really, they don't really know the, all that much about the culture. Now, they can learn about it, uh, but you got to get a quick education as to what the culture is and what it means. And uh, that's where I see that it's, it's so different, but uh I just, yeah, I'm I don't just, know. I'm just I glad that I got to coach where we brought guys in as a freshman. Of course, we brought Juco guys in. We had, you know, whatever. But I really think that we came together in learning about the culture, what it meant, and then the leadership within the team enforcing what it meant. And then when you came in as a freshman, you learned real quick what you were going to have to do and what it meant to be a pirate, you know? So uh, those were really special times. And uh, those times are, you know, that, that's something I'm always going to value. And when I see guys like you and Matt Semenza, for instance, how many years later now, pretty much you guys feel the same way you felt when you were players. Yeah. And uh, I think that the, the culture of the program back then is what spoke to that in relationship to how you guys still feel about the program. So, uh, um, you know, I, I find that to be, I, I just find that to be something that I was lucky to be part of. So uh, always a special relationship that I feel with those guys and me, you know, I was, <laughs> I was always like friends with the players more than the other coaches. Like I didn't even spend much time with the other coaches. I just was with the players all the time. So yeah, like, 25 years later, that's who my friends are, are, you know, are the players, you know? So uh, uh, that's kind of how that worked for me. But, you know, um, I was still going to be demanding, of course. And, you know, we weren't going to tolerate anybody that showed up late or didn't show up or didn't work hard. You know, that was just, something you had to do, there was going to be consequences like right away. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember we were in uh training. I was telling my, uh, my 11 year old, he's a water polo. And he was asking about a few things and we were doing winter training and my grandfather died. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. Right. Like depressed or whatever. 
strolling there like 10, 15 minutes later and Coach Logan's like, what's going on? And, you, and he's like, oh, well. And then Coach Barry was there and Coach Barry's like, hey, Mark, what's going on? And I said something. He's like, jump in, just, you know, get your workout in and, you know, figure it out later. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And next thing you know, you're like, yo, Libiano. I'm like, what? And you're like, let's go. I'm like, go where? And you're like, you got to grind it out. And I'm like, grind what out? And you're like, you're late, dude. I'm like, my grandfather. You're like, whatever, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So you put me with big J and Jay's like, oh, Jesus. And he's like, oh, you got your 45 minute cycle. Let's go. You want to do it now or later on today? And I'm like, let's just get it over with. But you know, well, I hope I hope I wouldn't have been that callous if you lost your granddad. But whatever, you know, like he he had (laughs) cancer and everything like that. But you know, it's time to get to work, man. He's gone, and um, you know, did I really need to be 15 minutes late? No, probably not. You know, 50 years old, I could say that. 18, you know, you don't know. So, but my point is, is like. Get it done. Get it over with. Same thing with Wednesdays and Saturdays. Get the work in. Get it done. It's a grind. But, you know, on on Saturdays when we played, my dad talked about, man, that that really – people really understood it, you know, halfway through the third quarter, uh, end of third quarters when we started taking control of the game. And um, I'm not sure if you're going to get that with the NIL stuff. Um, it's just going to be, you know, you saw what happened on this field last year where, you know, he thought he was just going to let his guys from the year before take take control. And it's it's a different ball game now, man. So I don't know how you guys see it, but it's going to be crazy for the next couple of years until it's really figured out. So uh, culture wise, it's going to be a difficult thing for everyone. I just you could just tell, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a dog in a fight now since I'm not coaching, but I, I go to the games and, uh, John McMillan, uh, he and Danny Bersinio, Danny Bersini used to, he owned the elbow room and John, John, uh, managed it. And those guys were thick as thieves and came to all of our games. I don't know if you remember them, but John, uh, I got kicked out of there many times, bro, (laughs) but John takes me uh takes me to the games and you know i'm a fan and i just go cheer for the pirates you know and hope for the best yeah support support the program so uh i'm I'm just another greenville fan right now right and i'm saying that too is you know my wife's a usc uh graduate right and you got lincoln out here and you know he it's a different ball game it's, it's, you know, he came in that first year and this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, year two came by and they're like, well, not much change coach. And now he's going into year three and people are like, yo, what's going on? We got to get this changed. I thought you were, you know, the big time coach. And I think he's finding out, man, this is, this changed quick. And I think they've, um, I think a lot of those coaches kind of started to realize it uh, end of last year, how quick it's really changed. So yeah. they need, they need to figure it out, um, adjust and move forward. Right. Yeah. Well, he's got to earn that uh, $17 million house, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't think the house is the big thing. I think it's the 12 or $14 million every year. That's, yeah. that's a big, that's a big commitment. Um, you got to win. If you don't win at SC, you know, they're kind of, they're always nice, man. And they'll, and they'll fire you nicely too. So. Yeah. That's a lot of places. No doubt. (laughs) Got to win. So I guess what I want to ask you is, you know, what's, uh, what's, what's your, what's your vision for ECU football? What's, what's it been? What is it now? What's your vision, vision for the future? I always thought we were hard nosed and I always likened it to some sort of um, 
mini SCC team, right? And, and I always kind of saw us that way. Um, I think Skip had us kind of going back on that track, right? With yeah. rab- rabid, rabid fan base, very good, um, just fun. Football means everything. And I think um, I think we can get back there. It's just who's going to. Who's going to take us to that promised land, right? And there's always going to be a few guys that step up um, in that part of the 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 time frame. I think a lot of this stuff comes in cycles. So, um, I got guys, friends out here, man, that follow us since I played, and they're just like, "This is not ECU football." So, whatever you guys are doing, you guys got to get it corrected because we enjoy ECU football. We used to love turning on that ECU on, you know, a night game, playing a big time program and upsetting them or coming close. Um, you know, I, I just, if you got, if you look at the schedule, I, I don't have to, I don't have to talk to anyone in the administration or anything like that, but this is not, this is not the ECU football that I played at and I want to support. Um, and I know it's a different time, but you got to get that schedule right. You got to play some competitive games and let these kids know, right? This is this is how you have to play, and this is what you need to win. I mean, we played Virginia Tech every year. We played Syracuse every year. We played a major team. We went to – you remember going to Washington? We went to Tennessee. I mean, we went to Auburn. I mean, you could just – these are these are the teams that – we played over and over again. I mean, what we're doing now is not going to work. And um, I'm a little scared coach. Like if this continues for the next five, 10 years, it's, it's, it's over, man. Um, And, you know, at 50, I can understand it. I would never want to say that, but, you start going through business and understanding what's happening. If these guys don't get it corrected soon, it's not going to be good. Uh, that press box and everything that was done is going to be useless. Uh, and it's sad to say, but they got to get it corrected and they got to get it right. I think we need to bring back some people that have ties to the program to get it straight, to understand it. Um, and I think that's the only way it's really going to get straight. So I know it doesn't sound good, but that's my belief. And you have administrators out there that played football that have doctorates that know what they're doing that could help. You got guys that were coaches that know what they're doing in 20, 30 years that could come back. You got a ton of resources. So if people are going to say, no, it's our way of the highway, give me the highway. Cause I know there's a ton of ECU people that can fix this in a hurry. So I'm not sure what's going to go on in the next year or two, but it needs to get fixed, man. Cause there's not going to be too many people paying $50 to sit there and watch ECU play whoever they're playing. I don't, I, I don't even look at the schedule because it's silly. So that's just my take. Well, what do you think? You'd, uh, what would need to happen to optimize the involvement of, of ECU football alumni uh, to benefit or support the program? Do you think more could be done there? Do you? Uh, I'm not real familiar with – you know, I hear this. How many times you came back or what you guys do as a long, you know, I mean, what? I, I hear this question. That? I hear this question thrown around every five, ten years. And administration tries to help and understand it. Um, but when I was at ECU, my brother, older brother, was a walk-on at Penn State. And he got in a few games you know, but there was all Americans ahead of him. When he goes back to Penn state, he puts his, he had, they have a ticket booth. One person that takes care of all the alumni, he brings his license up. They review it. 
they say, okay, you were let him in here for two years. He gets his two tickets and he gets carte blanche on anything and everything. I'm not saying we need to do that. What I'm saying is it needs to be reviewed and looked at. Sending out an email once a year saying we're going to have all the guys back and have a pig picking, it's not, it's not really going to work. It just doesn't work. Um, just from my 25 years of understanding it, um, there needs to be a sincere attempt and it needs to be a two-way street because if it's not two-way, these guys don't care. I mean, like I'm out here in LA, I'll just go to the USC game and hang out and, and watch whatever on, on, on TV. But if you're back on the East coast and you're in North Carolina, you're Virginia, there's a lot of guys that I played with are in Florida and Georgia. It's going to be like, there needs to be a good both way street. And I don't think our administration, even when um, the AD, what's the tall AD that uh, he was a great guy, Terry Holland, even when Terry was there, I don't think he got that in detail, but I think he understood it. And I think Terry was a great guy. I think he liked ECU. I don't think he got to that detail that we're talking about right now, but um, I don't know. Shank is supposed to kind of spearhead that stuff. I don't know what he's going to do. I, I mean, calling every once a year is not going to work out, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, I talked to David Hart, Darren Hart every once in a while. I don't know. I know. There needs to be some sort of more synergy that needs to happen through the university in the athletic department to kind of get everyone back there. So, Yeah, I had a few ideas when I was uh, still working there, but it was very difficult to uh, make headway. Uh, a lot of obstacles involved. So that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, and I get what you're saying, and we understand it, and that's – I said that in a long-winded way, and you said it in two seconds. So, same thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I always think about these athletes, how they're a little bit different now, how they have a few different challenges. Uh, do you have any ideas, like, in what areas of their life they need additional education and guidance? Or, like, when you were there – is there something else that could have been done to help you, um, you know, when you went out and you, you try to decide what you were going to do in life? Um, you get any ideas there as far as keeping guys in the program, what they're dealing with now with money? Um, what what so could help an athlete right now? The, the hardest part to answer that is to tell someone they need a babysitter, but they need babysitters, right? They need someone, they need mentors. They need guys that um, don't want anything from them, but will help them. Um, yeah. Because it's hard, right? It's, some of those guys aren't going to listen. Like I listen to Bernard Carter, right? Yeah. Uh, he, it was a strange relationship, right? Between the two of us. He was a little bit older. I'm white. He's black. He's from the South. I'm from the North. Just a weird, weird, weird relationship, but I always looked up to him because at the end of the day, man, he would break a lot of things down for me and put it down as a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And it's really hard. So when I say babysitters or mentors or something like that, that kind of needs to happen. I remember Logan tried to help the program by having the older guys mentor the younger guys we would try to uh you know when you were a junior and senior you would pick the freshmen and try to kind of um bring them along but i think organically it happens um it's better when it organically happens but 
that is one of the big things finances what you're really going to do um uh and i i always thought bernard kind of like he had a weird kind of uh attitude where i was you know uppity and he was kind of laid back but it kind of worked for us and he was really good to me as a person um i don't know necessarily if maybe bringing some of the guys that had some good success in the NFL back to um, help these guys understand that money only goes so long and um, your ability only lasts for so long. You need to hurry up and transition uh, into a normal life. Sort of like what I did when I was done playing football, when I got cut, it was kind of nasty. Um, I had about a week or two of, you know, depression where it was like, dude, this is weird. And then I just snapped out and just kind of went on my way into the real world where I was going to graduate and then move on to the real world. So I had a lot of good people around me. I don't know how that happens at the college level. Now it's been 30 years since I've been there, right? Where you, you've, you were at ACU, what, 15 years before you left, right? So you have a bigger um, barometer of how to talk and, and understand this where I was there four years and we're out. But I, I think some sort of mentorship, some sort of, of help in a way where it doesn't say it's help, right? Because people get a little yeah. offended by the word help, right? And you know, you as a coach helped me all the time and, I, and I'm grateful for that. And if people don't understand that, you know, it's crazy because that was your job. Your job was to help me. You were paid to help me. Um, so I don't know if they need to figure out how to bring in more mentors. Um, I think when I was there, they had one or two uh, academic um, people. Um, yeah but I think they probably need three or four life coaches to prepare people in the new world. You know, missing a phone bill is a little bit different than missing a, you know, a mortgage. Right. So um, I think that kind of needs to happen. um, But I don't know if it'll ever will, you know, I mean, we see this over and over again, but. Well, it's real interesting to me and I don't think I ever told you this. You probably don't know this, but like I've been in, uh, I went back to school. So I'm, I'm uh, six months into my health and life coach certification. Oh, nice. So um, I got about another, I don't know. It's probably going to take me another six months to get this where I want it as far as what I want to offer. Uh, but I'm excited about it and uh, it's some really good stuff. So uh I'm I'm really anxious to try and help all kinds of people. And really, I'd like to write a book about how coaches need to take care of themselves because I don't think coaches take very good care of themselves. So I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe doing that. So I've, uh, that's one of the things that I guess you could say one of my goals for the future. But, uh, yeah, before we uh, – before we go tonight, I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you get out to California, uh, a little bit about your business and your family, of course. And uh, it seems like you've done very well. And then at some point this year, I want to get you and Samenzo on the same podcast so we can kick it around a little bit. But we'll wait until we get a little bit of insight into the season so we can maybe have a little bit more to talk about. <laughs> That'd be fun, man. That'd be fun. Yeah. And and uh, I think Semenza and I, we we started arguing this year on the details of the same exact thing that we both believe in. So, yeah, that is, it'll be unique. We'll see what happens, man. Um, that'll be fun. Um, real fun. 
But so uh, tell me about California and the construction business. So how it happened is I was interested in architectural building things and ECU had a construction management degree. That was one of the other reasons why I actually went to ECU. Um, it actually um, felt um, where I could kind of go where I needed to go. We graduated, I graduated with a, a degree in construction management and uh, my older brother was out here already for a year. So we had New York as a choice, Philadelphia or Miami. And um, I was like, let's just, I, I came out to LA for two months um, and just said, you know what, I, I think this place is cool and got my degree and came back out and never left since 97 um yeah. construction management so we started in doing um a landscaping business which actually did the fields at ecu intramural fields did uh sports fields and things like that it was a billion dollar landscaping business and they did all this with guys on the tractor and no kind of like management you know new management and the guy um that hired me was trying to implement trying to get some some people like me that actually had the management skills or was schooled in that so we can kind of help the corporation out but i'm thinking it's a billion dollar corporation already like how what am i going to help right um but you learn that people like him and the owners will their company to a billion dollars by hard work and doing the right things. And when I went in there, I was just kind of like helping them make um, easier choices quicker with management styles and how to, um, you know, new technology and how to work spreadsheets and things like that. So we did that for two, three years. Then we went into um, the office business. Um, a lot of these big high rises and uh, office buildings um, have tenant improvements that need to be retooled. So I started with the company for a couple of years. We went from uh, me personally, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe 10 spots to next thing you know, we're doing two or three floors. Did that, got experience. That's probably five, six years into it. And then uh, one of my friends from uh, my brother, who was a Penn State guy, he actually played for Joe Paterno. And he was the first class. He started a real estate company. And I went to work for him. He had 20 properties and we had 15 construction guys. When I left him in 2007, he had 120 properties and I ran a crew or an office of 150 employees just doing construction work. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, very successful. We learned a ton and then I started my own business and just kind of went from there. Um, and there's been some good times and there's been some bad times, man. There's been some, holy shit, I got to sell my car to make a mortgage payment and to like, I have no clue where all this money's coming from. Um, but it comes in waves um, and you got to understand that you got to go to work every day um, because the business will humble you really quickly. And um, it's been fun. So we built a house a couple of years ago and got some other th good things going. Um, but uh, there's a, uh, 20 hour work days, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you think you're too old for them and then you realize, man, you, no one else is going to do it for you. So, um, the hardest part is going from one level to the next level. Um, and, and giving that control to someone else to let them run your business. Um, was it 2000, when did that 2008, we went from 15 or 16 people on my staff to my wife and I within wow. six months when, when it hit the fan. Um, 
so there's there's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs man uh luckily i got a great wife that uh, she's humble she understands it and she's not a, she's not scared to go to work and um, two great kids 11 and 8 and it's fun man so it goes in waves um but you know we talked about what the kids need in life and there's a lot of people that are very successful that need help too so oh yeah um, there's people um that have good friends that that call on i i've had i've had some good friends where i can call up and say look man this is what i'm doing and they tell me love you brother you're in the wrong path this is what you need to do um and it's hard sometimes man but you start reflecting and you start thinking about it two three days later it's it's uh it's kind of cool that um those relationships still help right so what we were talking about earlier with the babysitters and the mentors i don't think that ever really goes away and um i think it's good for everyone you know even with the older people a lot of my older friends that do it and they they enjoy it because they feel it keeps them old or i'm sorry they're older it feels it keeps them young and in the game um you know a lot of a lot of good people in the world and a lot of bad people in the world so i think it's a fight to make sure um you screen a lot of those people in your life so that 18 year old athlete has got the same problems as we do too you know sure so well, right now for me man i'm just trying to get to heaven man so i stay in church quite a bit so <laughs> oh man you got you got plenty of time you got plenty uh... of time have you stopped oh, yeah. yelling as much or no? I'm I'm impacting some people, you know, uh, along with myself. So that's that's kind of the bottom line, and that's really Coach, the, how, the reason. That's, what's that? How old are you? How old are you? I'm 67. So you got another 20 years in business, man. You got yeah. You got I mean, I'm, I'm a young I'm a youngster, absolutely. But I'm trying to put. A little bit of time aside to get better at my golf game, and uh, well, we, we talk about construction. We're uh, we're renovating our house now at Emerald Isle. That's a project. I'm gonna let my wife handle that one. You should let your wife, your beautiful wife. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I've seen your golf game, so we need to hurry up and get you qualified uh, <laughs> on to the next thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I've seen your golf game, man. But yeah, if. Uh, if something comes up with a program where I think I can step in and, and do something special, I might, you know, consider that I, I uh, you know, Coach you Fleming uh, uh, wanted to bring me up to Rhode Island and do some things up there, but that's just a little bit too far away. And, Is he you know, still I'm, coaching? Yeah, he's a head coach at Rhode Island. Oh, oh. Yeah. That yeah, is, they're doing, that they're is doing a good, good job up there. They're doing well. Is he? He's yeah. a great coach. Good dude. Yeah. Good for him, man. Good for him. No doubt. Um, no doubt. What, what do you think? And I know that this is, I got to ask, what do you think about that Georgia State coach taking over as strength and conditioning coach, taking over as head coach? You know, I hadn't heard much about that. I, I saw your uh, deal on Facebook or whatever that, you know, but, uh, Hey, some strength coaches have a background in football. You know, I played defensive back all through college. I played quarterback and I played defensive back. So, I mean, my dad coached, I've been around football my whole life. So I know a little bit about the game. And I think that, uh, you know, I think I did have a conversation with one time maybe about uh, if I would be interested in trying to transition uh, but I don't see that very often, you know, where a strength guy moves into a uh, to that well, role. But the guy, the guy at Alabama, he became a special teams coach, I think, at Georgia or something. So I hmm. mean, uh, yeah. So it has happened before. And uh, yeah, I I just think it's funny because you guys are around, and it and it's you guys are around the kids more than the actual coaches. Right. And you understand right. a lot of the personalities and you've been doing it for 30 years. And 
just me knowing you, you watched, you, you had to watch more film than some of these guys that are getting the head coaching jobs and understand a lot of this stuff. So I, I just don't understand how it didn't happen more. I, I just think it's yeah. funny because um, it's not like you guys got in, like you're a strength coach. You know, you, you have a lot of these, you talk highly about um, some of the other strength coaches that you've uh, participated with and understand. And these guys watched more football in the last 30 years than some of these coaches have ever coached. And these coaches are head coaches now. So, okay. I, but it goes back to how and why administration, and I'm not saying ECU, I'm just saying all administration all over the country and how everything kind of gets involved, how they don't look a little bit different. Like you got to figure out some of these guys have to look at something different. If something's broke and not working, Go find some other way to to get you to the promised land. But I I had this conversation with Semenza um, a couple months ago, and, I, and he just laughed and he said that would be fun. And I'm like, look at it a different way, man. I'm like, Connor's thirty years, forty years, man, doing this stuff. He knows, right? Like, you know, if an offensive guard is an offensive guard, it's not that hard. Um, well, here's the thing, too. Uh, I, I did say this before because I think it's so important to have great coordinators. I did tell somebody once, I said, you know what? I think I could be a head football coach and I could recruit and I could, I could oversee the strength program and make sure it's on the right track. I could, I said, I don't think it's just hard. And I would need, I'd take all the money and give it to the coordinators. <laughs> like I'd go find the best coordinators in the country, give them two, three million each, whatever, take my 500,000 and be happy, you know, and yeah. just, uh, and, and run it that way. You know, I do the things that from a accountability standpoint, a discipline standpoint, making sure people are doing the right thing. Of course, the recruiting, uh, but, I really believe that I could, that, that the coordinators are the ones that are, that that's the real important position that you got to pay, man. You got to go get the best coordinators out there and they can bring in their staff and that that's what you use your money for. That's, I did think about that one time. <laughs> so well, I, I still think you should crazy. still think about it. <laughs> um, yes. I think you're right on with the coordinators. If you don't have a good coordinator, if you don't have yeah. the good coordinators, you don't have, and it, and it's funny because if you listen to Logan talk, he talks about, he doesn't want to be in coaching anymore for that reason. Right. His big thing yeah. was he doesn't want to be the CEO and run a little program or a program in general. And cause that's what you are as a head coach. I always thought of Coach Logan as an exceptional offensive coordinator that should be an offensive coordinator in the NFL for 30 years, right? Because I understood he never really wanted that other you right. know, title to do it. And what he's saying is really true. You have to you have to talk to the nurse. You have to talk to the strength coach. You have you have to spread your time all over. And I think you did a pretty good job of understanding that and i think that um i don't know i i think it would be interesting to see you out there it'd be fun <laughs> <laughs> and it would solve the problem with how many kids would come back and who would come back but you know what i learned in business coach man no matter what you do there's always some naysayers and there's always some haysayers and you know like the the people that love you and people that hate you. And I know watching the coaches, man, same thing. So yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation. I know. Yeah. I never worried about any of that stuff. Uh, I just, my whole, my whole philosophy was work as hard as you can possibly work. Don't look for greener grass, you know, be happy where your feet are, dig in, do the best you can stay humble and you'll be blessed. And, uh, I survived seven head coaches in my career. And I mean, uh, 
I, I got to be very happy with that. <laughs> well, uh, I would, I'm just happy that I had you all four years to um, teach and uh, ride us and help out. And we all appreciate it. Um, I know I'm speaking for most of the guys. We all appreciate um, everything that you did for us and, you know, what your family and everyone else sacrificed to make our program where it needed to be. And we need to get back there. So anything that that means means the world to me and I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing you guys sometime in the future here. Uh, Let me know when you, if you're going to come to town this year and uh, definitely get together. And then I, you know, I definitely want to have you and, and Matt on a uh, another podcast here. Maybe, uh, you know, about uh, maybe mid-season or so, we get together. As long as you introduce me first and then Matt second, everything else is cool, right? I, I'm introduced I first and then Matt. Okay, because he's still, he's still up there. He he's the Jersey guy, and, and now he's yeah. up there. Is he in Yukon or up in um, Connecticut? I think so. I mean, uh, I don't exactly remember, but uh, you know, when I when I talked to Matt, we were talking a whole lot about how I missed Italian food, and he was telling me about how he made the best meatballs. So oh, he's all full shit. He's we gotta have we gotta have an Italian cook off at my house if you guys get back in in town. <laughs> yeah, he he eats, he eats that Jersey Italian stuff. <laughs> We we make real Italian food like linguine and clams and the real stuff. So I got you. You know. Um, oh yeah. Well, Matt, you know, I always I always enjoyed talking to your dad. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, I always he's been, enjoyed it. My dad's been gone. I think five years now, maybe mm. six. It sucks. Um, yeah. But he loved ECU too, man. Um, yeah. And. Uh, he, he was always proud of uh, you guys and all the coaches and administrative and what we accomplished and how we played, uh, especially my junior and senior year, man. So um, I know him and uh, – was it Chancellor Aiken? Aiken was the chancellor then. Uh, yeah, he was a good man. I liked him. Oh, what a great guy, man. He used yeah. to go and grab my dad. I'm like, oh, Jesus. And my dad would – they would have a good time, man. Good – Good times back then, and I think we had some good, good, solid people uh, back then. Yeah. And, and uh, but, but uh, yeah, that was that's kind of sucks because my dad loved you guys and uh, just hard, you know. I got you. So, well, hey, uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for being on. Hey, coach, uh, we'll, we'll anything you need, man. Now. And, uh, let me know if you're going to come to town. And I, I just really appreciate everything. I I will. And uh, I'm in L.A. Anytime anyone wants to come, especially you and the rest of the gang, um, we're around, man. So we got a spare bedroom and, you know, come gotcha. hang out for a couple of days. I appreciate it. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, okay. So we'll talk later on, but it is Jeff Connors signing off for Absolute Empowerment. Uh, God bless. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!